Welcome to season two of the Lead with Indeed podcast, where we chat with the experts about the world of work. Here, authors, researchers, and industry leaders share their expertise on the science of talent acquisition, management, the future of work, and much, much more. I'm Liz Lewis, anthropologist, writer, and researcher at Indeed. On today's show, I'm speaking with Stephanie Johnson, Associate Professor of Management at the University of Colorado's Leeds School of Business. Dr. Johnson is an authority on leadership and diversity. Today, she'll be sharing her insights on how employers can nurture uniqueness and belonging among their employees, and in the process, build more inclusive workplaces. In our chat, she'll offer research-based strategies on how to do this, and she'll show why boosting diversity, inclusion, and belonging is good for business. Let's get started. Stephanie Johnson, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. You've had this long career, about 20 years, researching leadership. What led you to this topic and and why? Yeah, you know, I think I always just loved leadership. Mm -hmm. As a young, like a high school student, I always found myself leading stuff, like being asked to take kind of leadership roles. And I wanted to know how to do that better, but I was also fascinated why some people are chosen as leaders more often than others. And, mm-hmm. and then I think when I finally went on to graduate school, which actually wasn't finally, cause I did it right after <laughs> undergrad. I, um, I thought leadership was actually a perfect topic because this, you know, being a professor and I'm a woman of color, I'm biracial, mm-hmm. I'm half Mexican and half white. And I'm like already, I thought like an oddball enough, like I'm very different from the norm. Um, you know, I, neither of my parents went to college. That's not very typical for your average professor. And so I thought I'm going to study like the most mainstream topic in business. And that's, I think it's leadership, maybe motivation, but, um, and it worked well and I still do it. What led you to write Inclusify and, you know, why did you decide to do it now? Um, I, I, as a business professor, I end up working with a fair number of companies, which is great. Like it informs my research and helps my teaching. Mm-hmm. And I think it's useful for companies, but I started to see like more and more companies actually investing in diversity, like the topic of women on corporate boards and women in the C-suite just started to become like a conversation. And at the time there was a lot of data showing a business case for diversity and not all of them were getting that full benefit where they were seeing the benefit, but also like, Hey, we've had an increase in turnover too. And so it started just to become really clear that that's diversity is only really half of the story that you have to create a culture where people actually want to stay, or you're trying to fill a cup with a hole in the bottom. You know, you're talking about inclusifying, inclusified workplaces, inclusified teams. Um, Can you explain very briefly, because I have the definition from the book, but I'd like to hear it from you. Um, Can you explain briefly what inclusifying um, means in your, in your framework um, and sort of specifically what it is that is distinctive from, um, you know, belonging or inclusion? So I would say inclusifying is Mm -hmm. the intentional action of trying to create a workplace where people can be their unique selves and still belong as an essential valued member of the team. And it involves that intentionality um, and recognizing both of these elements. There's a lot of buzz 
now around topics related to inclusion, diversity, and belonging. Um, can you talk about how your work fits into this and also um, specifically what sets it apart? Like, what is your contribution? Um, because I do think it's interesting. It's really interesting and, and different. What's different, I think, about uh, my approach is that I think belonging isn't the goal. It's really actually this feeling of having both uniqueness and belonging. So it's, you know, belonging is like this basic and essential human need. We are social creatures. That's how we survive. We form societies and groups, right? That's humans, but we're not bees or ants that we all just are the same. We also have an maybe equally strong need to be different, to be unique. We have our own hobbies, personalities, and, Mm -hmm. and we don't just want to be the same. That's, that's just not part of who we are. And so it's both of those things. You want to be um, there's a theory actually called optimal distinctiveness theory. And it's the idea that we all want to be distinct. Mm-hmm. We want people to recognize this as different, but only to an optimal level at which we can still belong. I think today, or just the way I view it is inclusifying, right? Or inclusion is asking people what they want on the playlist. I love Not that. just letting me dance to your music but actually creating an environment where I want to dance. It doesn't have to be all my music, but at least I'm represented. Feeling included, it's almost like infrastructure, right? Like we notice it the most when we don't feel it. Um, And everyone knows that feeling because it's, it's visceral. It's not just in your mind. Like you feel it with your whole self when you, you do not feel included. Can you give a few examples here of sort of what it's like to not feel included um, in the workplace and perhaps examples from some of your interviews or examples directly from the book? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I I feel like some of these are equated with like microaggressions, but um, like hearing other people, I guess this is one that stands out to me, maybe because I've experienced this, but you're walking to a meeting and, you know, I can be sitting in my office and most of my work is like running statistics behind a computer by myself. Mm -hmm. And I feel like so happy doing it. And then I'm walking down the hall by myself to get to a meeting and er- everyone else is kind of walking in pairs mm-hmm. and they're chatting and they're mm-hmm. asking about their weekend. And then we get into the meeting room and there's like a exciting conversation going about um, the stock market or okay. sports or just like maybe I know what sports are and I know what the stock market is, but it's like not necessarily a conversation I really want to dive into. And, and I'm not welcomed into the conversation. It's, right. um, no one's saying, hey, Steph, how are your stocks doing? Or, you know, did you catch the game or whatever it yeah. might be? And then people at the end of the meeting be like, hey, do you want to go grab coffee after the meeting and not being mm-hmm. invited to that? Like, I think those are the points where you've, you mentioned visceral. Like, those are the things that stand out to me as like the visceral or someone talks over you. Mm-hmm. You're, the women all report this like over and over again speaking in a meeting and someone just speaks right over them and then the other one is they have these great ideas or comments and (laughs) no one looks at them no one says anything it's just like dead air like Mm -hmm. I actually think we should you know increase our marketing in Mexico and crickets right and then five minutes later someone else says what about increasing our (laughs) presence in Mexico and everyone's like oh my god that's such a great idea (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and you're sitting there like, wait, I, I'm pretty sure I said that, but you don't want to be like the jerk who's like, I actually said that five minutes ago. <laughs> you didn't, no one cared. Um, and it was interesting to do those, the interviews. Cause I'm like, I totally thought that was just me. <laughs> interesting. It was something about me. And 
And it's not like, it, this is a very yeah. shared experience. I think that was another one I talked about a lot uh, in the book, being mistaken for someone of lower status. I was giving a talk at a woman's organization, a women's okay. organization and one of my friends is there and she had like a broken foot or something. So she asked if I would give, get her wine. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes talks back pre-COVID were preceded by happy hour, right? Sure. You, you drink before the presentation, not me because I'm giving the presentation. Right. And I can't do both of those two things. But um, so I went to get her a glass of wine. I came back and then someone else said, Hey, miss, would you mind getting me a glass of wine? And I'm like, am I sure? So I went and got her and then I'm coming back and this other person's like, could you get me, would you mind getting me something as well? Like I was looking for a red, I didn't see any. And I'm like, sure. And that person said, and do you know when the speaker's going to start? Because I think we're running a little behind schedule. And I'm like, oh yeah, crud, that's me. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I need to stop fetching wine for you because I need yeah. to go and give the talk. Like if you feel different than everyone else and you're not represented, then most people will conform, right? They'll, they'll kind of fake it to fit in. And it takes away a fair amount of your psychological and emotional resources to be scanning the room, seeing what everyone's doing and trying to act like them. Whereas if the culture were one where people were encouraged just to be themselves, then you wouldn't have to do that. And it would free up a lot of energy so that you could just like be you. There's leaders who are really investing in belonging. Like that's super common. And there's leaders Mm -hmm. who are actually, you know, big champions for diversity, but there's not a lot that are doing both. Right. And I think like one of the really important points you make is that people do tend to have good intentions and they do tend to sort of overestimate how well they're doing, you know, on these, in, in these arenas and also otherwise, right? Like we all think we're better drivers than we are. We're funnier than we are, better cooks or what have you. But it's interesting to see how that plays out in these very well-intentioned efforts in the workplace when it comes to hiring and promotion um, and just, you know, creating inclusified cultures, right, in the workplace. And you have some really compelling examples of um, instances where you found a disconnect between what the leaders reported that they were doing or, or what they sort of viewed as the um, how inclusive they were versus what their direct reports said. Um, can you give maybe a few examples? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that I think that w- first of all, just like that idea that people were well-intentioned, I thought was super interesting. Like the number yeah. of people who are like, yes, Same. I absolutely care about this and I'm mm-hmm. doing it. And here's how that, I thought that was great. That actually made me feel like very positive. Uh, but I think maybe the more surprising one that stood out to me were all the leaders who thought the belonging piece, like I'm doing a great job at creating belonging. I we have this culture where, you know, we hire on culture fit and um, everyone feels really connected to the organization. And then in interviewing the direct reports and that, you know, in some cases I would interview multiple and person one would be like, everyone belongs, <laughs> everyone fits in. And then the next person's like, everyone belongs. And then the third person's like, I don't fit in here. And, <laughs> and I have to act like I fit in. I don't, feel accepted. I have to keep a lot of myself outside of the office. Um, I'm curious about feeling included or being made to feel included or not included um, during the hiring process, because it seems to me that there are many, many opportunities um, for this to happen. Do you have any any thoughts on that? Or is that something that came up during your interviews or during your research? I mean, one of the ways to make people not feel 
included or welcomed in the hiring process um, is to like make some kind of, I call it the just because jam. I don't actually think it's in the book, but it's just because she's a minority, S-H-A-M, or he's a minority or she's a woman. And the number of people who told me they heard this, like, oh, we really did want to hire a woman. We're interviewing you because you're a woman. We really need to get into that in the book. (laughs) Don't tell people that. Because there's very little data to support that women are ever hired because of their gender and people of color are never hired because of their race. It's kind of the opposite according to data, but we're all made to feel that way. Like every woman, if you don't feel this way as a woman or a person of color, like kudos, because I always wonder, like I was the only woman in my department. Do they hire me because I'm a woman? Interesting. If they did hire me because I'm a woman, then we should have a lot more women, right? Because they're hiring lots of people. And then I had this great, uh, amazing friend who's a lawyer, just like, even if they do hire you because you're a woman, just take the job because they hired that guy because his dad golfs with his dad. (laughs) And they hired that guy because he went to the same school. And we hired lots of people for ridiculous reasons other than qualifications. And so if you do think of all the jobs, there's like so many jobs you won't get hired for because of your identity jobs that you're going to um, not be qualified for, jobs that your people are going to imply to you or you're going to fear you're being hired because of your identity. And if you only went for the jobs that that wasn't the case, there's like really no jobs left. So I think for the interviewers, I guess, like don't say that to people. And yeah. for the interviewees, you know what? If they do say it, just screw it, take the job. Like, and then yeah. kill it, do a great job, be the best person ever, cr- like crush those stereotypes that, um, you were only hired because you're a woman because if it were a person of color, because if it were true, you wouldn't have that person's job next year. Um, for what would you say to somebody who says that they want to hire for culture fit? I mean, I think it's super risky because Mm -hmm. it creates huge potential for bias because it's impossible to actually judge that. And so I think you're a culture fit if you act like me, you know, and that just has, because it's not quantifiable, it's easy to make very poor judgments on culture fit. Um, But also if you hired on culture fit, you're really only getting one type of person. And so you're eliminating, eliminating that difference of perspective. And some of the people you hire aren't culture fits. They're just faking it. And so then those people (laughs) are exhausted. Uh, So I think it's, you know, maybe the core values of the company, you want to hire people who align with the mission. You know, Mm -hmm. if you're like a nonprofit that, your goal is to support the environment there. You probably want to hire people who care about the environment. Um, But beyond that, I think, I guess I say, you know, hire for people who actually add to your culture because the culture needs to evolve. Culture can't be static. Right. Right. No, that's great. And then from, for an employer or, you know, and, or hiring manager, recruiter, or manager, um, what are some things that they can do to reduce bias in, you know, in the hiring process? And also I assume there's a lot of overlap between like reducing bias in the hiring process and then later with promotions and whatnot, right? Because the hire is only one part. You also have to retain people and Mm -hmm. help them grow. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I really, I think it starts with recruitment and who we recruit. There's talent everywhere. And unless you believe that talent rests in a very small portion of the population, like you can Mm -hmm. try and broaden that applicant pool. And even when you're not using college recruitment, who do you look to? Your network. People we've worked with in the past and people we know, 
And that means we're going to end up just replicating who we have here and not getting in different talent, different ways of thinking, different educational backgrounds. Because, you know, one of the studies I love to cite is looking at venture capitalists who graduate from the same university and they are much less successful in their investments than a VC team of people from different universities because they all think the same, right? You know, whether people are interviewing in person or not um, interviewing virtually, what are some specific tactics or strategies that they can use um, to really prioritize inclusifying? I would say check your networks, consider who's getting the information about these job openings that you have. And the number one best intervention to increase diversity and inclusion is setting goals. So set some goals for what your new hiring pool and new hires are going to look like and then figure out strategies to get there. And then the same thing when they enter, set goals for the culture, how inclusive the culture is and measure that and play the long game of like, yeah, this might take some time to change, but it's definitely not going to change without those goals. Um, And along similar lines, what would you say, like, how would you make a business case for companies to build inclusified hiring processes um, and inclusified sort of work cultures? What's, what's the ROI on inclusifying? (laughs) Uh, There's like so many numbers, but you know, (laughs) there's so great, there's great uh, numbers surrounding the business case for diversity. We know Mm -hmm. diverse companies have higher sales and profitability and then inclusive companies on top of that. Um, if you just took it to the easiest argument is it reduces turnover maybe by 5%. Just do the math on that. Inclusive companies have lower turnover. 5% doesn't sound huge, but for someone in HR who runs those numbers, it's a year and a half up to, uh, to a year and a half. Someone's salary to replace them. Wow. A 5% difference in turnover is a big one. Um, and then it increases other things like engagement attendance, if you could increase inclusion by 10%, it would increase attendance by one day per employee per year. So that's like, that's a chunk of change. Um, Yeah. And it increases performance. It makes you more attractive as a company, particularly to millennials and Gen Zers who expect their companies to have inclusive cultures. That's just the way they've grown up. So I'd like to switch gears a little bit and talk about, um, what your work means now in the context of COVID. Um, because there's, you know, right now there, there are sort of large debates and there's a lot of speculation about the future of work. Um, and of course the future of work is always something that's in process, right? And now we just have a huge twist with a global pandemic. Um, but I'm curious, how can, in your view, how can leaders, um, you know, whether leaders of companies or leaders of teams um, build um, inclusive, like inclusified work cultures um, and, and you know, really ramp up inclusifying their, their teams during this time of crisis. Um, and specifically when so many people are working from home, what are some of the unique challenges that are posed to inclusifying right now? And you know, on the flip side, maybe what are some of the opportunities? Yeah. I'll say one, I guess one of each. So I think it, it's kind of interesting pre-COVID. So I wrote, you know, this mm-hmm. every word in the book was written before COVID, obviously. Because <laughs> COVID was started in March, the book came out in June. And and I think at the time in writing the book, the challenge is really about 
promoting uniqueness or supporting uniqueness uh-huh. more so than belonging. Like I think belonging, we had that covered in 2019. But now I kind of feel like it's the opposite because people are so disconnected that it's hard to build belonging when you're working from home. Like what are all of the cultural elements that we used to do Mm. to get people to feel like they belong? And like, it's more difficult to do that right now. So I think that's maybe the challenge, Um, Mm -hmm. but it also creates an opportunity, I think, because I think before, before some people felt like they belonged and then there were many people who didn't. And now mm-hmm. we've kind of leveled the playing field a little bit because we're all equally isolated. And on the flip side, I think we have become much more empathetic uh, for okay. one another because we've seen into people's lives a bit. Uh, I'll say there's, you know, a pain point of like, for example, you know, I have two little children. I have always been an empathetic I think person I'm empathetic toward other parents because parenting mm-hmm. is hard for me at least. And <laughs> I think it's hard for people who don't have um, reliable childcare. It and is extremely hard. I will say, yes. <laughs> but man, I've never been so empathetic as I felt when I had my kids home for 400 consecutive days or whatever it's been. <laughs> Seeing it firsthand is a different story and seeing into people's homes you mm-hmm. can't see into mine because I have a green screen, but mm-hmm. in the basement. Um, and seeing people's cats walk across the computer and their dogs and their kids bust in and like, you know, the cat's <laughs> out of the bag. Like this is this is how I look <laughs> normally. It, so I feel like we've had more of that uniqueness because it's more hard. I think it's more difficult to do the faking when you're okay. just like, I'm at home, you know, this is me eating <laughs> yeah. on a Zoom call because I haven't eaten yet today. And and so I think that creates the op- other half is the opportunity. The opportunity is, I think we're starting to see people more for who they are and realize there's value to that and have a greater empathy and understanding for the fact that people's lives are different from our mm-hmm. own. And one of the biggest impediments to <clears throat> change was the status quo. Like, well, this is, always, this is how we've always done it. We can't create yeah. flexible work arrangements for women or parents because we have sensitive data. We can't do it from home. Well, I guess what you could, cause we all are doing it from home away at some point. I think the future of work will, we will rebuild the workplace in a way that's different than mm-hmm. it. It's going to be different than it was before, but it can also be in a way that's better because the original demographics of the American workforce has changed much faster than the workforce itself. Well, here's the thing. This is the opportunity to change that. Because we have to rebuild it. We can build a workforce that works for everyone who's in that workforce. And some companies are doing that. And those who aren't are going to have a huge war to find talent who wants to go back to the old workforce. Excellent. Um, All right, great. This has been... Such a pleasure. Um, it was such a pleasure speaking with you. I loved your book, Inclusified. Um, thank you so much for speaking with us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm Liz Lewis. My thanks to our guest, Dr. Stephanie Johnson, and a big thanks to all of you for listening. In today's episode, Dr. Johnson explained why our unique desire as humans to both fit in, but also stand out is so important for today's employers. By nurturing these two tendencies, employers can build workplaces that are more diverse and inclusive and boost their business in the process. When employees have a song on the playlist, it's a win-win for everyone. In our next show, I'll be speaking with Ada Tarkey, 
author of Evidence-Based Recruiting. He'll share his secrets for building a more data-driven, scientific approach to recruiting and show you how to do it. I hope you'll join me. Subscribe to Lead with Indeed for additional content, episodes, and to hear from a variety of experts on work, talent, leadership, and more. Find more content, videos, and articles about the world of recruiting at indeed.com slash lead.